Welcome back to the Messy City Podcast. I'm Kevin Klinkenberg. I'm excited to have uh, one of my business partners uh, and friends, Diane Botwin, uh, on uh, on with me today. Uh, Diane is actually here in Kansas City, but she is remote. She's in New York at the moment, so we have this uh, kind of funny situation where I get to record uh, one of our local uh, Kansas Cityans, but she's not here at the moment. So how you doing, Diane? I'm doing great. Thank you, Kevin. Well, I think it's, uh, I've been looking forward to doing this for a little while. Uh, I I say business partner in, a, in, in kind of a loose sense because we have one one small project or medium-sized project that we're involved in together, uh, and that's really it. And uh, I kind of piggybacked on a project with Diane and Andrew Ganahl, who have uh, a partnership together uh, in real estate and doing development projects and in managing real estate. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of the third wheel on the job, but, uh, it's, it's been a great experience and a lot of fun working with both of them. Well, you're very kind and uh, you're not a third wheel. <laughs> <laughs> nice of you to say, nice of you to say. So, uh, I really want to have, uh, Diane on today because I think she has a really cool, uh, story, uh, in terms of her, uh, career trajectory and working in development. And, um, you know, people in Kansas City uh, know who Diane is, uh, but may not know all of uh, all of, you know, her background. Uh, I joked with the other day that every time we're together, I feel like I learned something new <laughs> about your, your background. But why don't you talk a little bit about I, I think it'd be interesting to trace like, um, you know, because I know you actually went to school originally for something completely different and you always had a strong interest in the arts. Uh, so why don't you? Take me through a little bit of like how you, uh, what your original thoughts were about like what your career and life was going to be like. Well, um, I am from Kansas City. I was born here and went to school here. And when I graduated high school, I went to a small women's college, Newcomb College, that is part of, at that time, it was a college of Tulane University in New mm-hmm. Orleans. And but it was its own women's college at that time. And it was a a lovely small college. And I went off to school as a music major. And I had played flute uh, since I was a little girl. And that was sort of my my thought was I would go to New Orleans. I would play music. I would I don't know. I don't know if I really thought beyond leaving here okay. far enough away and going to New Orleans. And so that's what I did. That, I mean, and, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, mean, I think I told you this, but I, actually, so I played the violin from when I was a kid. And uh, I always had a little bit, you know, in the back of my mind, maybe I'll, maybe I'll you know, go ahead and play the violin professionally or something. Um, I, but the truth is, I was never good enough. You know, I was I, I was pretty good, but I was never like you have to be really exceptional to do that, like for a living. I don't know. So what's that like? Did you think that you were going to go on and like be a professional flautist? Um, I don't know. Maybe as a a 17 year old, I thought I, uh, you know, maybe had a chance to do that, but it was, uh, it it became clear to me what I was really doing in the music department was uh, learning all kinds of wonderful things from a creative, a strictly creative perspective. And I have kind of joked 
later on in my life that uh, being a musician is actually a tremendous background in education or any kind of art discipline for running a business because I played in woodwind ensembles. I played in chamber music. I played in small orchestras. You have to learn how to work as a team. You have to listen very hard and you have to memorize a ton of stuff. (laughs) And um, I found that it actually has ended up being a terrific education. Plus, uh, within, as you know, being involved with artistic solutions and artistic ways of thinking about things and creative ways of thinking about things, you ask, I think, better questions than if you are coming at something from a non-creative perspective. And I think you can you can find creativity in almost anything. You know, yeah. math is a huge turn on for me because, and what is music? Music is math. Yeah. You know, if you're going to play an instrument, you have to at least know how to do fractions. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, I, I figured it out pretty, pretty quickly that I was not, you know, a Juilliard bound (laughs) graduate student. And so there I am. I had had this tremendous experience and this fun experience being in the music department and it came time to graduate. And I was sort of ticking off, well, what are my next steps? What can I possibly do? And what I really wanted to do was I wanted to go to Europe because my two closest girlfriends were were, uh, actually in Paris. And so my main goal was to get to Paris because I wanted to go do that. And so um, I graduated a semester early from undergrad And I uh, said to my mom and dad, you know, I have saved you a semester's worth of tuition at a very expensive school. I know exactly what I want to do. I I need to go to Paris. And uh, already negotiating. I like it already. and, And my mom and dad were like, well, you know, I don't know. But you did save us this semester of tuition. I said, okay, so I'm just going to take a little bit of that and I'm going to go to Paris and I'm going to be with Annie and Carolyn and it's just going to be the greatest thing ever. And so then my folks said, well, what would come after that? And I said, you know, I don't know. And so um, I was I was stuck with this dilemma. So I'm in New Orleans And uh, I don't know if you know this or your listeners know this, but New Orleans is a really great place to like go to bars (laughs) and to be sitting around and to hear music and be with friends. So we're a group of us are sitting around. We're all getting ready to graduate and everyone's saying, well, what are you going to do next? And somebody said, well, I'm going to go take the LSAT tomorrow. And somebody said to me, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I I have no idea what I'm going to do. And so somebody said, well, you know, several of us have signed, you know, we're just going to go take this test and see what happens. And so I said, oh, sure, that's a great idea. So then I would have something to tell my parents, because what I really want to do, remember, is go to Paris. (laughs) And so I took the LSAT. And then I said to my mom and dad, I've got a plan. I really want to go to Paris, but secondary plan, I'll go to law school. And so uh, my mom and dad said, okay, 
graduate school, well, we can get behind that. Mm -hmm. This will, will take that, but you have to apply. And so I uh, found the shortest law application I could find, which happened to be to UMKC law school. And I filled it out and I handed it to my mom and I said, okay, here it is. I've done everything you want. Now I'm, I, it's okay. I'm going to go to Paris. And so they lived up to their end of the deal and I got to go to Paris and I lived there for almost a year wow. for nine months. I left, I graduated in December and I left in January and I went and I loved it. Yeah. I positively loved it. And I took flute lessons from Michelle DeBost, who was one of the most wonderful flute players ever. Mm -hmm. If you ever get a chance to hear his music, he has, I mean, he was pretty well known at that time. And so I, I went and I studied with Michelle DeBost and I lived in Paris and I was cool as shit. You know, yeah. I was there, I was living it. I was doing everything and I was traveling everywhere and had no intention whatsoever of coming back to the States or to go to law school or anything of the sort. <laughs> Man, so I can tell you what happened next. It must have been an incredible year. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was pretty great. It was pretty great. Yeah. I mean, coming I found from, a job and everything. Coming from Kansas City and then spending a year in Paris, was that eye opening for you? Was it, uh, I mean, how was that uh, in terms well, of just like your day to day experience? Well, so I had spent three and a half years in New Orleans, mm -hmm, which is a pretty in comparison to Kansas City, is a, a pretty cosmo cosmopolitan jump right. from here to New Orleans. And certainly at the time I went to school, which was like a thousand years ago, um, it was, you know, it was pretty international. Like I, that I was around lots of people from South America, from Europe, and the music scene was robust. And so when I got to Paris, it was just like more and, mm -hmm. and um, because I had a couple of close girlfriends there who had been there for a few months already, I sort of had a base to, to go from. And I just started traveling. But in answer to your real question, it was eye opening. I got there and I was a little bit paralyzed at first. I had to really dig deep to say, it's okay. You can go out, you can ride the subway. So initially what I would do is I would take the Metro to like some far point, And then I would walk all the way back hmm. so that I could see everything in the city. And slowly I, I learned, I met people. I actually got myself a job in a little dress shop in Versailles. Hmm. So I would take the train to Versailles and work in this gorgeous little women's, uh, you know, kind of haute couture kind of place. And, um, so I'm living the life, no, no desire to do anything sure. else. And my mom and dad are starting to realize that that might be the course. And they didn't want that <laughs> as my course. They mm -hmm. really wanted me to come home. So my father had had for at least 10 years, had had, a, had issues with his hip and uh, problems with his hip. And so one day I get a telegram because, you know, back then you're writing letters. Nobody yeah. had, I mean, it was before the time of telephones and all that. 
so I get a telegram from my my mom and and she said it or I think it was an airmail letter I can't remember but she said so if if daddy had to have surgery you'd come home right oh, and I say of course I would and she says well it just so happens you know your dad has to have surgery I said, what kind of surgery? What is wrong? What's what's the matter with him? He says, well, you know, he has to have his hip replaced. And I'm thinking, he's had a bad hip for like my whole life, you know? <laughs> but my mother managed to uh, to arrange this. And she said, you know what? You got accepted to law school. And I said, you know, mom, I don't want to go to law school. I, I really like it here. I just don't want to go. And she says, well, you know what? It's only like a hundred dollars. I'm just going to save your spot. And if you change your mind, you could go. And I said, mom, do whatever you want to do. That sounds great by me. So then I get the telegram that my dad's going into surgery. So I jump on a plane and I come home and it just so happens it's two weeks before law school starts. <laughs> so my dad had his surgery, total recovery, perfectly fine. He was a okay. And there I was. Your, your mom was my, very clever. So. Very clever. Yes, very clever, which could explain why I can be as manipulative as I can be, too. So, <laughs> you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Maybe maybe that's where I got it. <laughs> so uh, it, if I remember right, then you told me your dad, um, he he was in real estate in some fashion. Was that his uh, business or what did he was that something on the side or how did that work? He, my, my dad was a. Uh, uh, surgeon. He was a doctor. Okay. And uh, as what, but he also um, enjoyed uh, business. And on the side, he would from time to time buy a building and he would own it. And so when I came home and was attending law school, he and I started working together on taking care of some of these buildings. And my parents, as they were, uh, my dad was doing his residency when they first started in Kansas City and he was doing a residency at KU and they had no money whatsoever. They scraped together enough to buy a little duplex and they would live in one side and rent the other side. And so it was not an unfamiliar thing to them. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was in law school, my dad had owned and sold and owned a few buildings. And then I uh, finished law school and I went to work for a really terrific law firm. It was the Field Gentry Benjamin and Robertson Law Firm. And it was a, a small boutique firm in Kansas City. And one of our clients was the J.C. Nichols Company. Hmm. And um, my position as low man on the totem pole as the youngest associate there, um, I had the pleasure of receiving all the landlord-tenant cases hmm. from the J.C. Nichols Company. So I started doing these cases, and and the, the law firm was a litigation firm. We were a defense litigation firm, which I really enjoyed. I mean, it was just, it was a terrific experience, great education. I think it was invaluable having not gone into anything resembling a business orientation of any sort. It was just a fabulous um, education and background. Mm -hmm. And But I found that uh, unlike litigation in which the 
simplistically, you're basically uh, tearing apart relationships. You're taking relationships that have either failed or something has happened and you are separating those relationships. Whereas in landlord-tenant work, you're actually creating relationships. And I found that I really enjoyed that. I liked negotiating what, how were we going to do something together? How were these parties going to work together? What was going to happen between them? And looking more in a forward sense, a long-term sense. And so I found I really liked that stuff. Hmm. And uh, so that was kind of where I think I started to see real estate and being involved with it as something that could be a long-term interest of mine. So how, how long did you work as, uh, as an attorney then? About 10 years. Wow. Okay. All right. And yeah. during that time period where you like strictly working as an attorney, did you also start to dabble in real estate on the side or? Well, at, um, as I said, yeah, I was doing this litigation stuff. <clears throat> One of our clients being doing this landlord tenant stuff. And then, um, since I was here, I think at that time, my dad may have bought, my parents may have purchased one or two other buildings. And then I got married. Mm -hmm. And so when you get married, all your parents really want, as you probably know, having parents and being married, Mm -hmm. all they really want is grandchildren. That's really, that's all they want. And that's all they want you to do. And so, um, I was thinking to myself, how am I going to manage having children and working 90 hours a week doing all this litigation work? And so I came up with this idea and I thought, well, I enjoy landlord tenant work. My folks have a few real estate properties. What if we set up a property management company? And then I could give my parents what they really want and I could do what I want, which would be if I'm going to have children, have the time to have them. Mm -hmm. So I went to my folks and I said, you want grandchildren and I want to give you grandchildren. So will you help me start a little real estate property management company? And I know you'll find this shocking. They agreed. (laughs) (laughs) And so we, we started our, property management company in 1986. And I gave them their first grandchild, my first son in 1987. You just, uh, you're always working the deals. I like it. Uh, I'm working the deal, man, <laughs> but I'm good. For, I'm good to my word. You know, if yeah. I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, and so were, um, were the properties at that time, I know you've talked about, uh, you've, you've had long had this focus in the Waldo area of Kansas city where all those were the properties you started working on, um, down there. Yes. Yes. So in 1986, my, uh, parents, uh, and I purchased, uh, the building. Well, most of the buildings that I still have mm-hmm. the building, uh, on the corner of 75th and, Warnell, where uh, my office is today, and then the building across uh, Warnell to the west where Pickleman's is. Mm -hmm. They bought those two buildings, and they had previously purchased a building that now houses Boru and Crow's Coffee and 
Summit uh, Bar and Grill. Mm -hmm. They bought that in 1972 because they were investors in the dinner playhouses, the Waldo Dinner Playhouse, mm -hmm. yeah. Waldo Astoria. That was their their building and their investment. Yeah. So that's what I started with. I actually remember those uh, playhouses. And, uh, my parents, <laughs> well, you're just dating yourself. Well, I know my parents used to really enjoy going, and um, yeah, uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty cool era. Um, so, so take us through that a little bit. Then you were able to kind of manage doing this basically like on a part time basis while you're raising children. Then, yes that that was the whole plan was that. Property management would give me the flexibility to uh, be with my kids. And then while they were napping, I could work. Mm -hmm. If I uh, needed help, my mother, who was now a grandmother, was happy to help me out. And so I just kind of worked around raising my boys. And then um, had I, I have three sons, and they were very close in age. They were about two years apart. Mm -hmm. So um, I like to joke, I was pregnant for five years, I nursed for five years, and then everybody went to kindergarten. <laughs> and uh, so once all, all three boys, uh, the youngest one was in kindergarten, I did my first development project. And it was a redevelopment of the building that uh, preceded where Crow's Coffee is in Boru okay. and the Summit Bar and Grill. Right. And, and yeah. All right. So, uh, and that, but was that an existing building or was it, that was a brand new building at that time? Well, at the, at the time uh, before Boru and Crow's Coffee, yeah. there was a, a, a building there that was, that housed the Waldo Astoria Dinner Playhouse. Right. Right. Okay. And uh, that building was built in 1924. And then the building where Summit Bar and Grill is <clears throat> now, that was the, uh, 75th street brewery. Right. That was my big redevelopment project was okay. we put the 75th street brewery in there. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really one of the very first, uh, brew pubs yeah. uh, in the area. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it may have been the first yeah. and it was so funny. Uh, the, the two guys that started that, uh, I remember distinctly where they came to found us somehow and my dad and I sat down with them and and they were explaining that they had gone everywhere in the city and nobody believed in this idea. They all thought it was a, a stupid idea and they couldn't find any place to open one. My dad, being my dad, said, well, you know, I like beer. I think it's a good idea. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and so so we did. And it it was a good idea. Yeah. You know, Yeah, it was a great place. Uh, it was a great place for a long time. So did you find like in that time period where you're kind of doing both and you're raising kids and, and trying to manage these properties. Was it, uh, I mean, was that something that was manageable for you? I mean, I, property management is not necessarily, it's not like a nine to five business. Uh, things, things happen uh, all hours That's of the day, all, all days of the week. Was that, uh, I mean, was, was, was obviously you did it. Uh, was it a huge challenge at the time or were you, you feel like you're able to manage that pretty well? Well, you know, it's it, I, it is it can be very challenging, but it was uh, truly a family business. My younger brother was involved at that time, and uh, my parents were. My my mother was the 
bookkeeper. My dad was sort of like the, I don't know what you'd call it. I don't know. He, he had ideas and yeah. he had a lot of advice. He was the idea guy. And I, yeah, <laughs> he was the idea guy. And, uh, my, uh, and, and I just, I just managed, you know, yeah. we all just kind of pulled together. I made some great relationships with some wonderful individuals and, uh, we had a much smaller portfolio then than what I do now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, it was a, it was, it was fun yeah. actually. So I know, you know, we can talk more about this now or, or later if you want, but you've also been very involved with starting up this group locally called uh, Wired, which is a uh, women in real estate development. Is that, I mean, do you have that discussion with other women about the opportunities to, you know, that real estate provides, you know, for, for those who have kids or little kids or are thinking about having kids? Is that, is that part of the conversation? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's wired is, I mean, to give kudos where kudos belong, uh, Cheryl Vickers and mm -hmm. Audrey Navarro, they came together with this idea and, uh, then, uh, thank you. And then, uh, Cheryl, um, uh, asked me if I wanted to join and, and do this. And I got to tell you, I, I wish something like this existed back when I was trying to figure out what to do, because, yeah. um, in all honesty, I think I, uh, I, I was pretty much sailing by myself most all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of been like that, you know, when I first started practicing law, I was usually the only woman in the room. Mm -hmm. I'd be the only girl going into, into the courtroom. And so I was kind of used to that. But as I developed my real estate career, I, I pretty much had to, I was, I was alone a lot and wired is a fabulous organization, particularly there's so many young women that are involved with it. And yes, it does. It, we have talked about the flexibility and what's terrific about the group is it's, it's so supportive. These women, they just want to help each other. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not competitive. It's, it's truly supportive yeah. and it's, it's wonderful to, to watch. It really is. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about what, what Wired does? And I mean, I know it's a pretty, pretty substantial group now. I don't know how many people are involved, but it's, you know, dozens and dozens and maybe a hundred people. I don't know, but what. I think it's close to 200 women now 200, wow. that, that belong. Yeah. And uh, we have a monthly meeting in which uh, usually a topic is chosen and someone speaks about that particular topic within real estate or introduces or shares a project that they're working on. We all come together. We tour buildings together. Uh, we have a monthly coffee in the morning that Cheryl uses uh, primarily as a networking meet and greet kind of thing. Uh, we also started our own small investment group. Mm -hmm. And so we put together, I found a, a property over on 40, off of uh, 47th and Holly. It's an adorable little, little property and I brought it to the group and we put together 22 women uh, from uh, investments as small as $1,000 all the way up 
and we bought this building together and we've been owning it and managing it for like four years now. And the, the wired group put together another investment group and they've actually invested in, in our project, the Mm -hmm. one that you and I are working together on. Yeah. So, um, a lot of the women, they just, they just want to, they want to try different things and see how it works. So there's, there's all kinds of different brokers, uh, people in lending, finance, uh, people that want to just do straight up development coming from all kinds of different backgrounds. It's, mm-hmm. it's a great, great little organization. The project, that first project that you all invested in uh, together, uh, I, I know we've talked a little bit about that before. There was obviously a ton of work that went in, especially like on the legal side and the financing side. Um, but do you, like in retrospect, do you feel like that's a good model that others could uh, learn from in terms of like bringing a group together to, to do a project? Oh, absolutely. I do. I mean, the simple answer is yes. I think it's a, I think it's a great thing to do. Uh, you know, you ha- if you have 22 people, uh, you know, 18 of which are completely inexperienced at doing something like this, there is some herding of kittens. <laughs> I mean, truly there is. But uh, I have always found that everyone has been eager to learn. Uh, what we, The model we used is there are like four, three or four of us that are more substantial investors and have more experience. And I think that's a great way to be both a mentor and a partner. And uh, so it's it's really been, yeah, I would say yes. I think it's a good model, yeah. despite having to herd around a lot of little kittens. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is it, is it something do you think, um, so I know a lot of people getting, a lot of the members getting involved are doing it kind of to learn, but, um, is there a sufficient profit or in it that has made it worthwhile for people? Is it feel, or does it feel more like taking on like a graduate, uh, course in real estate? Well, I would say with this particular piece of property that we bought, um, we have kind of, uh, use these past three or four years to reinvest in the property to truly renovate it it um, and it is fantastic at this point so i would say investment wise from just returns i would say from this point forward it will be more advantageous in that regard mm-hmm. uh, other investments i think you could we could have chosen something that would perhaps be more like a straight up, just be an equity investor. But I don't know that that was really the point. Yeah, uh, People have gotten to do a lot more for this. And so I think uh, to the advantage of a very small investment, you're not, you're not looking to get a huge return if you've only invested a thousand dollars. Yeah. Nobody's retiring off of that. So no. No, no. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think I've heard you all talk about that project and Cheryl and Audrey, and it's really pretty amazing. I mean, I love, I, there's so much about that that I love, but it, more than anything, it's like, I love that you're a group of people coming together and you're not just like talking about stuff, but you're like, let's actually go do something together and, and do a project together and, and, and use that as a laboratory to learn. Uh, so I, I think oh, that's absolutely. pretty amazing. Um, so uh, anybody who wants to check that out, the Wired group really is pretty incredible. We've interacted with them. Obviously, we love to have them 
in, in investors in our Columbus Park project. Uh, but it's it's really a pretty cool deal. I don't are the, do you have you figured are there groups in other cities that have like looked at what you all have done and tried to copy it and and uh, pick that model up? Well, it's my understanding when Cheryl originally came to me several years ago about this that there are uh, organ there is an organization I want to say in Dallas or someplace, but Cheryl would know more than I about uh, any kind of national. Yeah situation. But I do think ours is a little bit unique because we, you know, Midwesterners are really nice people and they, I find by and large, like to get along with each other and, and are supportive of each other, Yeah. which, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Midwesterner. <laughs> I, I, I'm saying it from true experience. I think it, it is true. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, so back to then you, you are starting to really get going. You've got the kids in school. Uh, you're, you're now full-time working in real estate and you're doing some development stuff. Did you pretty much just stick to commercial properties, um, uh, uh, throughout working on, on real estate? Well, um, uh, I know I keep interjecting my dad and these strange sort of things. So my dad was such a, such a unique and great individual. I mean, very, very creative. Um, Though he was a surgeon, he also liked to paint and he liked Mm. to do sculpture and he was fabulous with numbers. And so he would from time to time, just like get wind of and, a building or an investment, and sometimes would just say, "Oh, I'll, we'll just buy that, even though it's completely empty, or even though I don't know anything about it, or you know, just very speculative type activity." Mm-hmm. So he bought this apartment building once on the plaza that it, I I didn't know anything about owning an apartment building, and I don't think he did either. And so we bought this apartment building, and and I. I must admit, I, I didn't have a fantastic experience with that. Yeah. And so when I was able to get that sold, I thought, you know, I am never, ever going to get involved with apartments again. And I'm sticking with commercial buildings. So my career really kind of stayed very focused on initially very old buildings because I enjoyed renovating them. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had my first experience building a building when one of my buildings burnt down. Yeah. And um, since then, I, I have moved into some more residential and apartment work, but only because I have uh, some good partners yeah. to help me with that. <laughs> yeah. What was so was when the the building on Seventy Fifth Street burned down and you and you built the new building that has Summit Grill and or has a, a Boru and all of that in it. Was that your first ground up new construction? Yes. Yeah. So yes, that was in in two thousand seven. Uh, that building burnt to the ground, and um, it was an horrific thing. And I just thank God that no one was seriously hurt. Mm-hmm when that happened, but I was sort of faced with, uh, both of my parents had passed away by that time. And, um, I thought, you know, what, what am I going to do? I was getting advice. Oh, just, just make a parking lot, you know, just sell it, just take the insurance money and sell it as a parking lot or as land or something. And, 
and something in my gut said, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I want to do something else. So embarked on building a new building, but I wanted very much to build a building that was the right building for that neighborhood. So I started out, you know, I've got a law background, so I started researching and learned. I, you know what the Polk directory is by chance? I've heard, Polk's I've heard directory. Of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So if you go to the library, you can pull up the telephone directories that go back to like uh-huh. the beginning of time. Yeah. And you can find out what anything was. You can look up what addresses were and what the businesses were that were there. So I did that and I found out beginning in 1924 that that building was um, one of the first mixed use buildings in Kansas City. Hmm. And the theater that was there was built by right after the, at the time that electric light bulbs were uh, coming into vogue. So it had more electric light bulbs than anything, any theater of its kind had prior to that. And by mixed use, I mean that there was retail on the bottom floor and uh, apartments living on the top floor. And there were eight little studio apartments up above and retail down below. So I wanted to, to build something that was not nostalgic mm-hmm. in its remembrance of that orientation, but was um, the evolution of that and was uh, respectful of that. And the Waldo neighborhood is a very strong neighborhood. It's and it's an eclectic neighborhood and it's a unique neighborhood and it's an original neighborhood. And so I wanted to do something that would be complementary to that as well. And so uh, worked with an architecture firm, El Dorado, mm-hmm. and worked really hard to answer questions about what is the right thing for this neighborhood and why would we put a building there and who would want to come there and what sorts of things will happen there. And then, as you know, I've, I've always liked the arts, so I used it as an opportunity to work with a local artist, uh, Ann Lindbergh, and who has now gone on. I, she lives in New York now, mm-hmm. but um, asked her to be involved from like the get-go. And so she created a, an installation that is actually part of the building that acts as the... Um, shade and sunscreen for the whole second floor, but it's actually an original piece of art Hmm. that she created and that we installed in the glass. And so it was, it was a, a a daunting and yet um, extremely liberating and fascinating and exciting thing to do. Yeah. Are there uh, so being like going from uh, doing a lot of renovation to, to new construction like that word that did you find it more difficult uh or just different would you say just different you know you take an old building and you try to renovate an old building it's going to have a lot of problems you know that you just don't know until you start to get involved with the building new construction it's a different set of problems but it's still problems and you still want to put together your best team. And so this is where you hearken back to having studied music 
if you are working in a quartet setting, you need strong, all four players need to be strong. So same thing happens when you try to build a building or renovate a building. You need really strong members on your team and everybody has to be supportive of everybody else and listen to everybody else so that you can create something that might be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way of putting it. Um, so was that, uh, when you, uh, when you did that project and you had the experience working with Anne, was that the first time you'd really worked hand in hand with an artist like that? Cause I, I know that's been a point of emphasis of yours. Was that sort of the first time you did gone, went that deep with an artist for your buildings? Actually, no, I did my first, my first, uh, redevelopment was in the crossroads. Mm-hmm. I bought a building in 1999, right at the beginning, right at the end of 1999 into 2000 at the corner of 19th and Main, where a fair restaurant is and Lumine Salon and uh, the Gown Gallery yeah. are located there. And that was a building, again, built in 1923 or 24. And um, I worked as we started to un uncover that building. The envelope of the building had these gorgeous Frank Lloyd Wright Luxar panels, which are little glass panels. They're square, little squares. And uh, Frank Lloyd Wright um, designed them. And they are like prism glass Mm -hmm. so that like as the light comes through them, they create a design. So there were hundreds and hundreds of them that all that were on this building. So I thought we got to save these and do something with them. And since we needed all new windows and that sort of thing, we took all those little prism glass things and I engaged an artist. He was a young artist whose name is escaping me at this moment that was at the Art Institute. And he created an art installation that sits still to this day in the vestibule of that building that utilizes all those... Mm -hmm. Um, uh, things. And so then that got me, I got involved with the Kansas City Art Institute and I used to let them use my buildings for student shows. And I kind of liked doing all of that. And then I met Jim Woodfill and, um, uh, and got to be involved with some of his work. And um, so I did that. And then we, then I did shortly after that building, I built a building. Oh, actually my very first new construction building was in Topeka. I built a storage facility, Hmm. flex storage systems in Topeka. And I engaged a bunch of artists to have an art show in that building when it first opened. And Marcy Miller Gross had an installation there and Jim Woodfield did and, that was kind of fun too. That was a lot of fun too. So yeah, I, I love working with artists. Yeah. I mean, what would you tell other developers about, you know, some of the advantages or, or of going that route and working with bringing artists into your projects? Well, you know, artists will ask really tough questions good, good questions. And interesting questions and they'll have perspectives on things that you as a, you know, a a developer may not even be thinking about. 
And I really love that. I like being challenged in that way. I want to um, think about things both abstractly and concretely. And artists will do that for you. And they'll also teach you how to work really well within constraints because I think that's what artists do all the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes more the constraint, more constraints, the more creative they become. And it's just exhilarating for me. I don't know if it's for everyone, but I certainly love it. You feel like they've always added value to the buildings that you've worked on? Absolutely. I think that um, rather than just, you know, finishing a building and saying, oh, I have an empty wall that I want to put a piece of art on. I like working with an artist as the development is coming to be. Yeah. Because then you get their thought process. And I think it really can be uh, valuable, really valuable. So, you know, another thing related to all that. So when you were doing the the buildings that now Affair is in and, uh, you know, very end of the 1990s, early 2000s was um, Crossroads area was starting to get a little momentum, but it was still very early. Uh, and very early. I mean, th- it was a very exciting time. It was an exciting time to, you know, participate in all that. That must have been uh, thrilling to be on the side of creating uh, what is there now. It's such a it's such a vibrant and different place now. But I, I remember enough of those uh, early days and uh, how fun and unique uh, and and very uh, artistic everything was in that era. That must have been pretty incredible to help create all that. Well, it was. I mean, I'm not, I'm certainly not of the Susie Aaron level, but yeah. um, I do feel like uh, that, w- that was a, a great opportunity. Really, it was. I mean, I think uh, we, it, it was risky. You know, it was a risky move because there really wasn't hardly anything going on. And it's, and it's just mind blowing to me that a mere 23 years later, it, it is the way it is now. Because at the, when, I, when I came on the scene, there was, uh, at the corner of 19th and Main, there, there were a bunch of empty buildings. Yeah. I mean, there really was nothing. And, and now if you stand at the corner of 19th and Main, you can do a complete circle and you see residential, you see restaurants, you see office, you see retail, you see uh, entertainment, you see everything. Yeah. And a streetcar running right down the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incredible difference. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I always think about, you know, some of those, some of the people that were involved in that era and this, how much, how much was really in the forefront, you know, of your mind that you were creating something special or was it just like you were, uh, you were just trying to get get that next thing done, that next building done, that, that next task done? I, I think um, I'm, a, I'm a, a private, intimate person, and I am very comfortable taking my own risks and having my own ideas. And I saw the crossroads as very similar to Waldo. And so I had been working in Waldo for a few years, and I saw the potential of that, those old buildings to yeah. be something uh, something more grand or 
more uh, alive than they were. And I saw the exact same thing in the crossroads. Yeah. I didn't see what it is now. Yeah. I no, I did not I did not really, really visualize what it has actually become. Yeah. Another project you uh, you did that I wanted to talk about just for a minute was the the new construction, the the housing that you built for people coming out of foster care. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about why why you got involved. Uh, this was obviously a challenging, very challenging, very different kind of uh, effort. What what got you involved with wanting to do something that was, uh, you know, really geared to a specific population with a lot of needs? Well, um, so uh, I am Jewish and my Jewish upbringing was um, through the um, segment of Judaism of Reform Judaism. And in Reform Judaism, the uh, one of the most primary tenets is this idea of repair of the community. And uh, that's how I was raised. And it uh, was always uh, a form of behavior that I believe in strongly. Mm -hmm. And volunteerism becomes part of that idea. So growing up, I was always involved. I mean, even as a 12, 13 year old, I was volunteering, you know, at the Niles home and, and things like that became very, very important to me. So I uh, got involved in the very early days of uh, Restart, which is an organization in Kansas City that was started by Stuart Whitney uh, many years ago um, as a response to issues of homelessness. And so uh it just it it just spoke to me as a place that uh, required attention, and so I've been involved with Restart since its inception and issues of homelessness. Um, I, I it's just a, it's it's important to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, shortly after I had finished building uh, the building at uh, that rebuilding. The building that had burnt down, I uh, saw a new. I opened up the Kansas City Star because it was still in print at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, on the front page of the paper was an article about a grant that had been awarded in Kansas City to study the needs of young adults, uh, specifically aging out of foster care. And I read this article, and I thought, you know, this is a sign to me that it fell right within my belief system that the real uh, response to homelessness is a home, a permanent home. And so I called up the then executive director of Restart, Evie Craig, and I said, Evie, I've, I've read this article and I, it's, it's telling me that this is an opportunity. We could, we could do something here. And she said, you know, that is the funniest thing because the director of the Missouri Department of Housing is sitting in my office, Pat, Mm. right now, Pat Brown. And she said, I'm going to get you two in touch. And so Pat said, you know, there's a grant you can apply for at HUD. 
an 811 grant. And I said, well, I don't, I don't know anything about that. And he was like, he was so rah-rah. He was like, you can do that. This would be the greatest thing. So I attended a seminar um, pursuant to this grant that I'd read about, and I got all, all excited. And so I thought, well, you know, if I can build back a building that burnt to the ground, surely I can do this. Mm-hmm. And so I called up my team that had built my building and I said, I've had this sign, we're going to apply to HUD and we're going to get this grant and we're going to build a building. And so for some crazy reason, they all agreed. And so we set out on this quest and it took us five years to make it make our way through the HUD system and finding and getting to a point to build this little apartment building. And we partnered up with Rediscover, which is, I cannot sing their praises enough, fantastic organization that provides all of our wraparound services for these young adults. And I had a little parking lot in Waldo. It's a bit of a long story, but in order to get to this parking lot in Waldo, we tried several other locations and the neighborhoods in those relocations just came out in the most vitriolic, horrible way in opposition to what we were trying to do. And so when I, when it was like a light bulb, uh, realized I had this little parking lot in Waldo and nobody could tell me what to do. They couldn't tell me I couldn't use my parking lot. Mm -hmm. So that's where we built it. And it's operating today. And I, it's, I'm very proud of it. I really am. It's it's a remarkable thing. Rediscover does an incredible job. Restart is the sponsor owner of the building and it's it's doing a good thing. How, how, it really is. How many uh, apartments or how many units are in there? We have 14 okay. apartments and and we have uh, caseworkers 24 hours a day and we have staff that are there all the time. And our young adults come in and stay on average uh, a couple years mm. because, you know, it's a lot of restriction. But the goal being that you are interrupting the path, you know, mm. someone ages out of foster care. And if you interrupt right then and you give them the support they need, then they won't end up back in the system by the time they're 25, which happens so often. Yeah. And the need is incredible. Just by way of example, there are 1,700 young adults looking for housing today mm. in Kansas City. Wow. And I provide, you know, 14 apartments. We got, we have a need. There's yeah. a real need here. That's incredible. Uh, well, that must, I mean, it, it, you know, like you're, like you said, it's, it's not, you know, solving the world, fixing the world, but you playing a part to help solve the problem is one of those things that must have a really good feeling to it. Uh, and, oh, it does. And it's, you know, it's actually cool to be able to use the skills that you learned uh, over the years to be able to help, uh, you know, be part of the creative uh, energy behind solving some problems. So uh, I admire that. I think that's really fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. So how many, uh, how many properties uh, about do you have uh, today now uh, as, as you are working in, in the business? Probably 15 or so. Okay. And, and um, they're pretty much all commercial or I think you you have, you built a duplex too. 
that right? Yeah, we yeah. built a duplex. That was a, the offshoot of the the apartment for the young adults. Oh, okay. Is that um, we we uh, set constraints for ourselves to build a duplex under the same HUD restrictions of affordability. Okay. And so we did that project, and that was in connection. We partnered. I partnered with uh, David Dowell of El Dorado, who also uh, has a an architecture studio at K State, and I've partnered with him a couple of three times on different projects, okay. and that was one of them. All right. So, um, and, and you know, we have this project that we're working on together, uh, which we don't really need to talk about much, but it's nice that it's finally under construction, but, uh, we've got 10, uh, townhomes that we're building and then 10 other apartments. So it's, it's a big step into the residential world. Uh, you know, I know, so I know in partnering with Andrew, you built, uh, a big mixed use, uh, a building in Waldo, largely apartments. Did, did doing that like help your comfort level in, in, you know, working on another residential project like the one that we're doing uh, now? Absolutely. But again, I think it's I think it's because our team and our partnership is is a good one. Andrew comes from a background of doing uh, multifamily. I I did not. And actually, as I told you, I had one experience that I didn't really enjoy that much. And so um, having having this association with Andrew has been great. And then you have experience with townhomes. So I think I'm surrounding myself with people who can help with my learning curve on that. And uh, so I do, I do, I do like it. I am enjoying it. Well, it's been a lot of fun working with you on it and getting to, to know you. I think one of the things, one of the things, a couple of things that have been really eye opening to me, not uh, having gone this deep, you know, being involved uh, as one of the owners on a development project. But uh, two things I, I think that I would mention that are just kind of interesting. One is uh, both you and Andrew are exceptionally detail oriented, uh, which I think is a huge uh, advantage and really important as you're working through um, new development projects in particular. Um, that That's a big thing. And secondly, uh, there is a lot more work that goes into it than I think, you know, most people realize there's just a lot, there's a lot of stuff that comes up on a, on a day-to-day basis. I could not believe how many emails there were just in getting through a, completing a construction load. <laughs> it was, a, it was <laughs> mind blowing to me. <laughs> it is. It truly is. It truly is. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you have to enjoy that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I, but I think if you want to do anything really well, you have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and dig into it. Yeah. And and find and find the creativity in all the different aspects of it. Yeah, I think that that's very true. And uh, and I think one of the things that you know I've used you as an example uh, to others of a, a couple of things are our, our friend Monty Anderson in Dallas has talked about. You know how you. You have, you've certainly worked in a few different neighborhoods, but you've really spent, you know, a lion's share of your effort in one neighborhood in Kansas City. And you know, you know, all the buildings, you know, you know, the people and a lot of the businesses. And that's been a, I think, a really good advantage for you. So that's kind of like what Monty talks about with finding your farm. You know, that's, that's sort of your farm. And then, you know, what you've talked about, how you have found all those other people who have uh, an expertise that you don't have. And just um, 
really uh, drafting, you know, off of them or working with them uh, so that, you know, as a small uh, business and as an entrepreneur, um, you know, you are able to, to create those partnerships and, and make your uh, business successful. Um, because you, obviously you can't do it all, but you've got to find your competitive advantage against the, the larger uh, entities. Oh, for sure. And I think that's why um, I have enjoyed, um, you asked if primarily I work in the commercial world. And I think that's a lot of that is the exact same reason. I have met more interesting entrepreneurs than you can imagine. And many, I mean, I, I could say, I think pretty confidently that I have quite a few tenants that have been tenants of mine for decades mm. because we are in a relationship together, yeah. you know, and, and, and entrepreneurs are vigorously resilient and creative and hardworking. There are all the things that I hope that I try and strive to be and hope that I can be from time to time. And I, I think I'm attracted to that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Diane, let's, we can probably uh, wrap it up. It's been about an hour, if you can believe it. Uh, and I, I do like, wow. cool. I do like to uh, ask my guests a final question, which is, I do call this, okay. um, I call this the messy city podcast. And that's really kind of an ode to uh, the kinds of places that, that I have liked a lot in my lifetime that are uh, much, they're not sort of pristine, uh, they have a real mixture of uh, everything going on, different kinds of buildings, different kinds of activities. Uh, that's not maybe not the places that you would think is like perfectly planned, uh, but they're still lovely and interesting nonetheless. Uh, and so I, I try to find out if there's a place when I say that that comes to mind for you that that you like uh, that resonates. So it could be a neighborhood, could be a, a city or or, or something that, uh, that, that has the feeling of like a messy place. Well, I think, I think that's been my whole career. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think that's all I do is, is make either make a mess or get involved <laughs> in a mess. Um, I would say Waldo is a, a perfect messy place. I think the crossroads is a messy place. I think Columbus park mm-hmm. is a messy place. Definitely. Uh, when, so I'll finish with, with a little story. The, when I was uh, rebuilding the building that burnt down and we held a neighborhood meeting and I presented you know, my big fat idea of what it was I thought I would do to add to the mess of Waldo. And uh, there's a guy that used to be a tenant of mine that had a, had moved, his business had grown and he moved across the street and he sent me a, a note and he, he accused me of being a transmogrifier. He said, you are nothing more than a transmogrifier. So I'm thinking, well, what the heck's a transmogrifier? (laughs) Well, it turns out if you ever read uh, Calvin and Hobbes Mm -hmm. comic books, a transmogrifier is, I forget who called who the transmogrifier, but it came up in the context that they had taken a big refrigerator box and they had changed it into a fort. And one accused the other of being a transmogrifier. Well, a transmogrifier is somebody that takes a a refrigerator box and turns it into a fort. And I feel like I wrote back to him and I said, that is the 
kindest and most wonderful compliment I have ever received. And thank you. That's fantastic. So, uh, so if I, so yeah, I think those, that would be my answer. Everything I, everywhere I've ever worked has been a mess. Well, that's great. I love it. Diane, thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate uh, you dialing in from far away New York. Uh, and uh, Absolutely. next time we could do it here in the studio in Kansas City. So, I'd love it. Right. I'd love it. Take Thank care. you for asking. Uh-huh. Bye.